So the Buddha um, talked about different kinds of karma. Kama, bright, dark, mingled karma that leads to the end of karma. So bright, he was doing the good, good results. Dark, doing the bad, getting bad results. Mingled, confused, some good, some bad. And the, the, all of it creates a sense of I am. That's the end result of it. I am good, I am bad. I don't know what I am. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the results of karma. You know, it's a good result, but the, the basic result is it perpetuates this sense of, of self. So it's not that I have a lot of karma, but karma has a lot of me's. And everyone... I have quite a lot of me's because <laughs> there's all sorts of different karmic currents coming up. Sometimes I'm stupid, sometimes I'm wonderful, sometimes I'm, you know. So we have all these different me's happening, you know, and they're the, all the results of karma, you know. That is, you have unskillful thoughts, you feel silly, depressed, or whatever. You know, so, so it generates a sense of self as an object. A, a me, and that me then becomes the cause for an agent called I. So you have two. The I is the agent and the me is the result. I do, and it happens to me. So those two things. And so one's the, you might say, the karma active, the other the karma result. So but then in... Buddha's way of looking at it, if you look at these more clearly, you see that the eye sense is really intention. It's an intent, a bent of the mind, and I want to, I've got to, I should, you know, it's a, and the me is an experience of something landing, contact impression, happens to me. Hmm? The karma that leads to the end of the karma is exploring these bases, intention and contact, as they are. And of course the other agent that comes in is attention, because attention is that which frames an experience, so it sets up what we're going to contact. Yeah. So if I'm sitting in this room as a meditator, I'll probably notice the Buddha, the space, so forth. I'm sitting here as a builder. I notice the construction. So the intent, attention is frame, framing up what I'm going to notice. And that's dependent upon karma. Isn't it? You know, what, what my preoccupations are. Yeah. So that keeps feeding back my way of looking at things. keeps getting fed back into the whole, whole flow of experience through attention. You know, when a burglar thief sees a saint, he notices his pockets. He doesn't notice his halo. <laughs> right? You know, because of his karma, because of his actions, because of his predispositions. So that's what he contacts. That's the contact impression. The contact, and the Buddha says, with the ceasing of contact is the ceasing of karma. Ceasing of contact is the ceasing of karma. 
And now this may seem like don't touch anything, don't see anything, but uh, contact is two different kinds. One is the basic sensory contact, so it touches you, and the other is the heart contact, what it means to you. Yeah. Something, you know, so you resistance contact, the first kind is just you touch something, you get the sense of there's something there, and then the various ripples of meaning come in. It's alive, or it's warm, or it's... And then the deepest meaning of, or oh, it's pleasant, or it's my friend, or it's horrible, or whatever, you know? And that's, that's the one that ceases, because that's the one that triggers off the reactions, isn't it? You know, you taste something, it tastes wonderful. Wonderful. That's, that's the contact impression. It doesn't taste wonderful, it just tastes. <laughs> but the contact, the designation contact, is that's wonderful. Well, what's going to happen then? I want more, doesn't it? You know, maybe not right now, but that's logged as, yeah, I want one of, another one of those sometime. So that, that's how it happens, isn't it? That's from that designation impression is the arising of the next intention. So that's how the loop works. That's how the this happened to me. Because it happened to me, it was pleasant. I want another one. You know? So that's what's going on. Only with the ceasing of that designation is it possible that that stops. If it's just what it is, it's not bad, it's, not, it's just... Mm-hmm then there isn't an arising of intention to either, you know, have more, have less, or restrain oneself, or get over it, or consider it. It's just, uh-huh, but end, you know. So you can see always the wheel of cause and effect comes off its axis at that particular point. It just, mm-hmm. You know, as we see the Buddha in the seeing, let there just be the the seeing. Just the seeing. It's just like there's not that picking up. So, with the ceasing of contact, is the ceasing of intention. Intention is this bent, this volitional push that's spinning us along, moving us along for good and for bad. It's not necessarily all bad. At all, there's a lot of good intention, but we notice it's moving us along. And uh, the Buddha said, yes, this is something you cultivate. You move along and you move along and move along until you get into a point when you're really out of the jungle. You're out of the really bad stuff. And now you can just take a break, you know, from moving on. And you can rest in the, without intention. So that's uh, that's nibbana, that deep peace. There isn't, and that can only be experienced with the ending of this me, I am, run around. You know? So any kind of impression we have of of uh, oh peace, oh that's nice, I want more of that. Well, that's not it, is it? <laughs> because it's just that it's another subtler. Uh, contact impression 
a lot better than most. Worth, you know, it's called the passion for Dhamma. So, yeah, this is uh, better than most. And we all recognize that uh, in our practice, I'm sure that through mindfulness, through applying ourselves, we can recognize the, the movements of the mind and the sensations and the sense of watching or witnessing those. You know, and it's often kind of like moving from getting caught up in something and then, hey, what am I doing? And then pulling out and then, oh yeah, what was all that about? You know, he's come back into this noticing, seeing um, mode. Interesting that, you know, we have both of these. Don't we have a behavioral action mode, which is about doing and working things out and considering and measuring and, you know, so forth, good and bad. And we also have, the mind also has this more natural quality of, of awareness, you might say. So the kind of fundamental basis of, of consciousness, of mind consciousness, is, is receptive, it's aware. That's not anything miraculous but uh, um, or ultimate in itself, but it is certainly enormous resource because it's this that means we stops us from completely buying into every story that runs through. Every touch, every sight, every sound. Something goes, well, I've seen the end of that one. What was that about? Uh-huh. You know, we keep coming back to that. You know? so, it's in, in, so through this, Process, uh, contemplation of impermanence, changeability, things coming and going, things not being able to be grasped. Seeing indeed one's self, one's apparent uh, form change, you know, from being, um, you know, fully engaged to being quiet, from being, you know, over years, particular things take over the mind and we get really convinced we are this and that and the other and it shifts into something else, you know, over time views that we have shift intensities that we felt strongly about can shift things we are really rooting for you know really campaigning for in five years later you think oh well it's all that about <laughs> fashions for you know food and things like that you change or shift so this is this is both a large scale and also um, say quite microcosmic re- regard of changeability and selflessness of mental processes. Now this can lead to a, a sense of this keeping bearing this in mind can keep bring out this sense of dispassion. Yeah. Now that's very important too. So the sequence that the Buddha talks about for the development is viveka, non-involvement, just being able to step back, viraga, dispassion, ceasing, and then relin- complete relinquishment or release. means you're not even able to pick it up again. You know, it's gone divorced not just kind of put aside but actually finished with that 
There's only really one thing to be finished with. It's the me, the I am obsession or ignorance. So when we when you practice like with viveka with non-involvement, you definitely that definitely gives you a lot more recognition of continual change. If you're not buying into things, you know, well, it's you know movement through the mind, getting excited, feeling angry, feeling craving. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, there it goes. You know, particular topics that come up, letting them change. One gets a sense of dispassion towards these things. And even more, perhaps, dispassion towards the mind itself. Like, the mind is a monkey, you know. <laughs> its behavior is, it gets so infatuated, so righteous, so, you know, flips and changes its opinions all the time. Mm-hmm. So some sense of, you get a kind of real feeling for all mental behavior is, yeah, you know, not bad by any means, but you don't really want to make a uh, stand, take a stand on it. Take a stand on the good, he gets conceited, righteous. Why isn't everybody else like this? Or this is the way it is, kind of thing. The ability that we have, you know, to to recognize Dhamma, to, to see this, you know, from the Behavior, the experience, the movements, the passions, the resistances, the, the whatever it is, the struggling into the witnessing. Oh, that's that, you know. And that, that takes some doing because these things are quite sticky. So that shift, viveka, and dispassion means we're no longer identifying with that particular obsession or pattern of thought. It's more, it's like that. Less to say about it, less guilt, less anxiety, less uh, fascination. It's just like that. Dispassion. So you have a, it tends to turn down the colourings of things. They're no longer so intense and so so uh, deeply etched. And it's shifting this sense of, of you know much more to the awareness of phenomena. Mm. Notice in particular this why the Buddha teaches um, things that these influxes are asava, because every time you you step back, you get a broader view, you get less in the topic, and you see it much more in the phenomenological way. That is, you see not just you know strawberries, but you see oh oh that sense desire. You know, you kind of get an overview. 
And the influxes are uh, a very broad-based overview. You see things like the tendency to incline towards the sense, sense world for security, for uh, pleasure. Yeah. So this is what all creatures do, kamasawa, very powerful flood. You know, if we're not doing something, we'll suck something. <laughs> You know, you, if you go <laughs> any, anywhere you go, that's what people do. You know, there's cafes all over the place as if everybody's dying of thirst. No. It's, so you, sit, you know, you come from shopping, you sit down and you suck something. <laughs> it's a very basic thing you did from the moment of being born and you're still doing it. It's kind of fundamental comforter to put something in your mouth. <laughs> Preferably sweet. Or watch a movie, or you know, see something. So put something in your eyes, or read. Put something in your head. Read something. Think something. Yeah, (laughs) I feel okay then. Swaddled, held. You know, without that, whoa! You know, it sounds a bit nerve-wracking to be without that. Then what does it do? You know, when we meditate on this, you find one of these sense uh, sense passions coming up. If you're sort of kind of drawn into this sort of warm, vital, alive place, as it were, you're doing a number on a cappuccino or something, or sexuality. You know, it's kind of warm, held state. And you know, and then, but then you stay with it, you feel just how draining it all is, how pulled out you are into all that, how lost. Do you get a real sense of, you know, the quality of the, the, the cleanness, the openness, the spaciousness of, of awareness is much more sort of enjoyable, gives you more freedom, more clearer. It's like you're no longer in a stuffy room. You're out in fresh air. The first influx, which is fairly obvious in a way. And just to remember we were noticing these things, there's no no adding of guilt or you know, punishment. It's just noticing the feel of that. And then you've got this quality of awareness, you can just come back to that noticing the feel of that, what you're in contact with with that. An impression. So you're just kind of shifting. Yeah. And you bring them together. Generally, what will happen is we'll tend to go from one to the other. You come out of something, oh, where was I? But to, uh, you know, bringing the two together so you can be aware of the pulling. And at first, you can't really have a topic, but you can just feel, you know, you're not focusing on a particular storyline but just that sense of being pulled and you're aware of that holding that in awareness it starts to dissolve at the influx level it's almost like you're rewiring your intelligence just putting the two together saying which you know and it starts to transmute 
So then that that thing can uh, cease, which is different from pushing it away. Pushing away is helpful, indeed. Ceasing is is more deep-rooted. Another strong one, which is sometimes termed as an asava and sometimes not, but it's a very powerful experience, is ditti view. Ditti is the, is the high spot. It's the mountaintop. It's the fortress. We can get on our ditti peak and look around, and everything's nice and clear. Views. That's why you feel really pretty stable and secure there. An Italian hill town, you know. <laughs> it's like you're up there. You look down, everybody else is down there. You're okay because you're up here. <laughs> the ditty, the ditty fortress. So, and uh, so these are, of course, views are helpful. That's why, you know, to get some perspective on things, see what's around. But then the attachment means you, you that hilltop becomes a place you never. It's got a certain defense around it, certain hardness around it. We don't really meet the experience, we just have opinions about it. Um, again, it's very dualistic. There's always rights and wrongs. So it's not a peaceful experience, it's not a consummate experience, it's not a release experience. It's a point. And just feel. When we get a strong view, um, cultural view, religious view, ethical view, view about Dhamma, view about Vinaya, you know, okay, that's a, that's a way of looking at things. Interesting, fine. You know, one way of looking at things. Notice the the influx. It was when it becomes a fortress, a rigid place, where you not having the view for clarity, but having the view in order to feel you've got some ground, more like position, stability. Then it's doing the wrong thing. Views are fine for looking at things from, but they're not good to make as a place for security and self-affirmation. And it's feeling the sense of a view. How the retreat should be, how the monastery should be, how monks should be, how lay people should be. How one should be oneself. Mm. How samatha should be, how vipassana should be. So these are, yeah, all you can shake them around. But remember, every every view is always going to miss out one particular spot, which is the one who's doing the viewing. So it's never holistic. It's always leaves that sense of me intact. I am is intact. So you want to re- re- keep remembering that. That's the one we really want to get some release from. Trying to sort everybody else out with a view <laughs> and leave this one intact is like missing the point. When you're trying to sort everybody else out, you've got seven billion problems. 
Mm. When you don't really uh, reflect on this sense of I am, you've got even more, because every moment is a problem. (laughs) Something we've got to, you know, hold against or get or, you know, form around. So when we're aware of that, there's the transmutation. We can sense of just uh, your perspectives, more like different perspectives on things, and just holding, holding that sense of different ways of looking at things. You more or less let things start to form themselves because of that, the quality of that aware mind. Things can form. Things. This is where things actually do form. Not without views, but not exactly with them either. It's through having certain values that you bear in mind, and just you know, without holding too rigidly, and things sort of shape themselves up. How communities work, really, how Sangha works. You've got certain values, core training principles. People tend to, will tend to kind of start to harden around certain aspects of that or dismiss it. You're sharing the way we work, you're sharing the views, and, and things start to kind of find a certain shape to them which fits. Sometimes it takes quite a while. But it's in oneself to notice that the tendency that arises when one's got a strong view, the hardness, the mountaintop feeling, the fortress feeling. And then what's it like just to come into awareness of that? Relaxing in the body, hold, just staying with the view, not dismissing it, staying with it, but just softening the, the grasping it, the held quality of it. See what occurs there. So you're not dismissing these things, but you're letting them transmute or come out of their intensities. Because, of course, you know, strawberries are nice. Better than eating, you know, lumps of coal. Becoming which is the, the becoming is much more the racetrack, feeling, plans, motive, you know, that sense of moving along. That's the becoming feeling. So karma is like a like a being in a, a, a pit where you're swallowed up by things. Ditti is like being on a, you know, fortress. Where Bawa, becoming is like being on the, on the, on the track, Always moving along the track, moving, 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 getting, getting, going, going in the future, trying to be. So you feel the, the tension, the pressure of that. Wouldn't it be nice just to oh, arrived? So this is good enough. <laughs> good enough isn't something you can really get a strong view about. So sometimes ditti is, is recognized as an aspect of Bawa, they fit together. 
So just in meditation practice, just the, you know, there's a lot of systems and techniques and which are all good. You know. And then is there a time when we just uh, rest in awareness of that, these processes? Not even trying to stop them. But the emphasis is much more on this awareness faculty of the mind. Because, of course, becoming again is relevant. Things do become better. We do change things for the better. We do aim. We do aspire. We do work for a happier future. More just, clear, comfortable future. We do aim for becoming. It's the getting driven and attached to it. So we're just aware of that quality without trying to change it. Widening your awareness, feeling how it feels in the body. Coming back into the present moment. Not going into non-becoming, trying to get rid of it, but just that feeling it fully. So what happens is it's almost like we're putting something in water and the water doesn't destroy it, just gently dissolves the hard edges and it changes the water. The awareness becomes not just the same as it was, but actually richer, stronger. Because that intensity that's gripping in the in this becoming is the, the intensity that releases and the, the quality of awareness becomes substantially more confident, less needy. It's almost as if we're filling it up with the energy of our of our clinging transfers. So your awareness becomes much more energized, you might say. Luminous. Ignorance, avijja. Is the one you you know they're missing the point. So this goes to every other thing such as doubt or missing the wood for the trees, getting lost in the, in the details. Quality of ignorance is it's, it's never a, a sense of um, in, enough finality. Restless. That's why these last fetters that disappear are restlessness and ignorance. So you'd think restlessness should be something we got over quite early. And its coarser aspect, it is. You know, it's one of the five hindrances. But in this subtler aspect of an, un, an unreleased, incomplete, so that the mind is, has this 
still kind of edgy quality to it. Staying with, so as your uh, quality of awareness becomes stronger, your ability to stay with some of these uh, floods, this is the way the Buddha practiced it, thoroughly reviewing them, knowing how they're built up, knowing them as not self, dependently originated, fed, and also how that feeding of them can be removed. We don't feed them, we don't... And then there, you can contemplate the shifting around awareness of these forces. What can be the case is that uh, we flip from one to the other. That is, we get in a very you know stuck state, and then we oh snap out of it. All oh, right, just aware. This going, and so we go back into that, more like just being openly aware of things or focused on our breath. And that's that's very useful, but I myself I feel that's also as it gets clearer and stronger the ability to not take awareness as a final quality in itself, but to bring it so it blends, it meets these strong currents, and it itself is transmuted because it's not as if those currents happen out of nowhere; they happen because basically. In awareness itself, there's still the potential, the anutsaya, the unknown potential to foster these. Otherwise, it wouldn't keep happening. And if awareness was already pure, well, where does all this other stuff come from? It's not like the postman delivered it. (laughs) You know, it's coming because there's a latent tendency to incline that way. And it's almost as if we have to meet that that uh, tendency and kind of keep resting out of it. So, so the but the thing is, you can ceasing of contact. This means things no longer are placed in these categories. We're not experiencing something as desirable or about to be or taking a view upon it. It's just what it is. So those those meanings. Because you recognise whatever you, it means, it probably means something to somebody, something different to somebody else. And five years later, it probably means something different to you. And how powerful these meanings are, you know, like your football team, your, you know, is what? <laughs> Even your nation is what? What's what's England? What is it, you know? Who's English? We're just kind of mongrels, mixtures of Danes and French and, you know, all kinds of people slopped together on a piece of land. You call it, you call it some kind of nation. <laughs> And a series of accidents, we call it our tradition. <laughs> and yeah, what is it, you know? The language is all sort of bits and pieces slung together in a mess. It's, it's, yeah, it's good, it's fine, it's okay. But there isn't something there, 
you know, that we are. But, you know, you can wave the flag, play the anthem, da-da-da-da-da, and everybody rises up and gets all psyched up again about it all. So these things that we seem so stirring and meaningful, we become, we are, you know, it's a nation or even Theravada, monk, some sort of thing that you, I mean, these are good things, but they're still, they're meanings. And we can use them skillfully or we can get stuck in them. But with the ceasing of that doesn't mean we're not in this particular form, but that ceasing of that that contact energy, that where the becoming and the opinionatedness, the views, the kind of can take take hold. And the ceasing of that is the ceasing of disputes. So those particular intentionality start to fade out. And we just kind of contemplate where our intentions and where our meanings, where our contact impressions, where they where they take us, where they go to. Let the mind, natural wisdom, just place it in that in that wisdom, see what happens. Because if it's true, it will stand up for itself. Generally, you know, what I notice is that most of my truths are true because I'm holding holding them there. And if I let go of them, they're just, yeah, 